Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Megan Gilger. Welcome to the Fresh Exchange Podcast. Hey friends, here we are. It's February. (laughs) How, and also Groundhog's Day, which I don't know if you guys have ever done a lot of like research on this. I got down a curious route with my five-year-old the other night and he had a lot of questions about it, which this is the beauty of having small children, I feel like, and curious minds around you, is that they take you on these funny conversations. And oh my gosh, Groundhog Day may be one of the funniest holidays that in things that we do in America. I He asked me why we do it, and I think it's just tradition at this point. I don't know. Anyways, I found it absolutely fascinating to learn about all of this, how there's these men who are part of this group and they can speak groundhogese. It's like an actual language to them. It's fascinating. Humans are fascinating. It's it's fascinating. So if you need a great deep dive for to just forget about other things in the world for a minute, That may be a really fun thing to do today, considering it is Groundhog Day. But I, and with it being Groundhog Day, it also means that, you know, it's like the movie. We're going to talk about the same thing all month long, but it's just the same topic broken up into a bunch of things, which that topic, if you didn't notice by the um, name today, is companion planting. And you guys know that I am a big fan of companion planting. So it should be no surprise that I'm going to dedicate a whole month to it, particularly when we're planning. And that my e-course has this as a huge, huge part of the design process. And the e-course just launched, by the way. 
So you got to get out and go check this out. I am so excited about it. I have spent so much time over six months planning, strategizing, figuring out how I wanted to do this. What was I going to include? What was important? And companion planting felt like it was the most important thing to include. I couldn't figure out how to talk about design without talking about companion planting. So it is a very big part. And I'm just going to give a little spiel on the course before we jump in because this course has been a big dream because like I said last week, it's all about creating a structure for your garden. A successful garden begins with plants, just like a house, just like any big project. We have to have a solid plan, one that has knowledge and all of these things integrated into it. And so I wanted to build a course that took that into account. And I did. I really, really did. And I am so proud of it. I feel that it really just makes it clear that it simplifies so many things because if you at all have sat thinking, okay, I got these seed catalogs, I got a garden plot, what in the hell am I going to do with all this? Where do we even start? Let me tell you, this course clears it all up. It takes away the need to second guess things, to do a lot of research. It doesn't matter where you live. All the information is completely relevant to you and applicable. I really tried to make it that way because I want every single person who comes in contact with Fresh Exchange and Megan Gilker to feel empowered to start a garden that is meaningful, that gives life to them, to the people around them and to the ecosystem around them. And so, you know, I'm taking all of my knowledge and all the research and all my curiosities and all my experience in helping you plan a garden that will go beyond what you ever imagined. So I am really excited about this if you can't tell. And if you're at all interested in checking it out, you can head to the new page, learn.freshexchange.com and go check it out. There, we also now have all of our eBooks there as well. And you can even hire me for a 30 minute consultation. So lots of options to help you start strategizing and planning for your garden this year. But now we're going to break down some of these key things of companion planting. I go even deeper into this within the course, but, and I have handouts. That's one of the things that is also integral about this new course is there, which you can buy on its own, but it is a course that has, or a handbook that is included in the course that has all of these resources, including an expanded companion planting chart that has every single vegetable and main things that you would really be thinking about, the core plants in your garden, they're included in this. And so it, it it's in that handbook. I'll link to these things. You can check them out on the new site, but there's either the handbook you can purchase on its own if you don't feel like you need the discussion points great. You can just do that or you can buy the whole course and have it included. So I hope that you will find even our little bits of conversation enlightening and exciting you for feeling like you can integrate companion planting into your design this year because 
I can promise you a few things and we'll go into this in a few weeks, but you will have higher yields. You'll not have need for any sort of pesticide, even quote unquote natural, quote unquote organic things. You will also have fewer weeds and your food's going to taste better and it's going to be beautiful. Okay. And those are just the beginning levels of benefits of companion planting. Now, Today, you're going to get it answered, what is companion planting? Because that is like, we got to start there. If we don't understand what something is, how can we even think about, you know, creating something out of it? So it it's like somebody saying, oh, you know, just you're going to make, you're going to, I don't know, cook onions and then you're going to cook in some carrots and like, it's like, well, but how long do I cook them and why? And like, why would I want an onion in there? They smell terrible and make my eyes water. Well, if you start talking about understanding something, it makes it make more sense why you would use it. So this is in essence, I guess our onion, but <laughs> maybe that's a terrible analogy. And in fact, I'm quite think it is, but normally I'm more on my game, but you know, it's a new month. It's Groundhog Day. I'm going to blame that. But Anyways, this is what companion planting is. And this is not going to be one of our longer podcasts because it's pretty quick. It's pretty simple, but I want to talk about all the different ways that we may come about it. So companion planting, I want you to think about similar to making a seating chart. If you're at a wedding and you are, or you're planning a wedding or you're a wedding planner, you're planning a party, anything like that, and you have to create a seating chart and you got these tables and you know the guests well enough to know who they are, what their interests are, things like that. Now, if you created a seating chart where you knew that your uncle Phil had a grudge against your dad and there was going to be some fighting, that wouldn't be good. You wouldn't want to seat them together. We're going to say this in comparison would be people that would land in the avoid category, right? We have the same term in companion planting. There is a group of, we don't plant these things together. They don't like each other. It's not going to grow well. It's not going to be pretty. Just don't do it. Now, if you have people that you know, they like all the same things and they just really, they get along, like they're very similar. They're basically like the same person. Super great. That can work. But there's going to be a chance that if you only seat them alone, like all the people that are the same, then they're not really going to have a very interesting conversation. And in fact, they may be really stuck on something and then it becomes a little toxic. And the same thing can happen in the garden. And this is what we see when we talk about monocropping. So it's when all the same things are grouped together and they're really alone. And what I mean by alone is they're not within a companion at all for at least two feet or so, 18 inches. If they don't have a companion within 18 inches, then they don't have a companion. So this is a monocrop. Particularly, we see this in large-scale farming. And there's nothing wrong with this in terms of like production. There's other issues in terms of soil and what it pulls out of the soil, um, all of those things. So we don't, monocropping is something that 
it makes it very challenging for biodiversity to exist. In fact, it just eliminates it. And so what we want to instead think about is how we can create a diverse seating chart and community of people at a table that create wonderful conversation that's complimentary, but also, you know, brings a little challenge. You know, you bring, toss in some Adam Grant thoughts in there and maybe a little Brene Brown. And, you know, you get this beautiful, real and honest growth giving conversation of like the people, you know, that's the sort of seating chart. The one that everybody talks about late, like, so you have that party that everybody talks about later of being the best because man, I just had a blast hanging out with all these people. You can do that in your garden and that is what companion planting is. So we're taking and optimizing our our beds to include these plants that don't just coexist well together. They actually make each other's lives better and they're close together. They move together. They build the soil. They do all of this stuff, helping each other thrive, tastes better. You're intensively planting things because they got to be close together in order to offer that benefit to one another. So when I'm talking about companion planting, I'm talking about creating communities of plants that thrive together. Okay. So that's what I want you guys to understand is that we're utilizing this tool that has been used for centuries, over 10,000 years as a benefit in our garden to avoid some of the problems that we now have accepted as common gardening issues. Instead, we can toss it all backwards and say, no, we're going to use this very simple tool that utilizes nature itself to rebuild our soil, to bring in pollinators, to deter bad pests, to increase yields, to you name it. All the things that you're like, man, I just want like a great garden that does these things. And best of all, it's going to be beautiful. So when people ask me all the time, like your garden just looks like a explosion in July and like there's plants everywhere. And sure, the soil matters, the sun matters, and understanding the plants themselves does matter. But the thing that just I continually go back to is that companion planting is the core piece of what actually makes that space thrive. Over and over again, I see it. And I see how the benefits play out year after year. And companion planting continues to be the one thing that just makes me super excited in the garden too. You guys know that I'm all about community. We have an online community. I am all about community sufficiency in terms of what we grow and thinking about like, can I provide something to a neighbor or can I maybe not grow this, but rely on my farmer for this instead and not thinking about self-sufficiency. I think we can think about monocropping maybe closer to, to self-sufficiency and companion planting closer to community sufficiency. And I would be willing to kind of say that. So I don't want to knock self-sufficiency completely. I think there's reasons for people to do it, 
but I think that there's a true gift and beauty to relying on a community and seeing the benefits of community. It's clearly something we need. We've watched it throughout the pandemic and how hard it is to be isolated from our communities. So why can't we also apply that into our gardens? Because you know, I think so many times we want to look for these methods of things that we're going to want to use in our gardens, you know, to help us solve the problem, to make it simpler. And, you know, there's been lots of different methods that have come out of our gardening. There's no one right or wrong way. But the beautiful thing is that in all of those systems, other than monocropping, is that you can utilize companion planting methods. Now, some words that also coexist with companion planting, or a lot of people also put next to it, are the words permaculture. And permaculture is kind of utilizing, I don't know if you've ever heard of the word forest or food forest. It's similar. You're, and I'm simplifying these things. I want you guys to know that they're much more complicated than what I'm explaining. So, but I, this is meant to be a beginner entrance into this so that you guys can kind of get an awareness of what some, how these words and trends connect. And we're also seeing a lot now of regenerative, talking about regenerative farming and things like that. But you got to understand that these also utilize companion planting models and systems to create some of that regenerative, those regenerative ideas. Obviously there's more to it, including animals and, you know, um, feeding over pastures and things like that to rebuild soil properly. Uh, that's why we use chickens in our garden. But we, all of our planting methods go back to companion planting. When I'm sitting down to design my garden, the one thing I have next to me, other than a piece of paper and a pen, is my companion planting chart that is in the e-course and in the tools handbook. So those two things or those three things are the things that I cannot plan my garden without because as I'm doing it, I'm thinking through, okay, my garlic, I planted it here in the fall. What do I need to plant next to it? Well, okay. The, what I need to do is utilize my garlic as a protector for my kale and my cabbages in the early spring. So I'm first going to plant my kale there because kale needs a protector from the cabbage worms because those cabbage worms pop up as soon as you possibly basically plant anything. So we got to think about that right away. So I'm able to think through these things, but I'm also able to say, okay, I planted my kale there. And when I'm rotating crops in, such as a tomato, for instance, brassicas, AKA a kale or cabbage deters the growth of a tomato. And so I'm always really hesitant to ever plant my tomatoes where I have also planted spring cabbage. So I make sure that if I'm taking all these things into account because there's certain nutrients and things that if that was taken out of the soil and it hasn't had proper time to rebuild, that there's a really good chance that if I planted my tomatoes where my kale was, they're not going to do so well. But if I planted really early carrots or I had carrots overwintered and then I'm pulling them in May, then I'm planting my tomatoes after putting in some fresh compost in the first week of June. What do you think? It's going to go really well because carrots and tomatoes are best buddies. So even within our crop rotation, we can utilize companion planting to give us a picture 
of what we can, how we can rotate crops properly to take into account soil nutrient, pole, or even additions. Uh, This is why beans are really popular to a lot of people is that beans add a ton of nitrogen into the soil. So there's all these ways that we can utilize companion planting to really create a system that can be added on to most any other system. So it's just a way of thinking about how plants communicate to one another more than anything. That's why I use the table, creating a a seating chart, because we've all sat at a table at a wedding that was miserable, one that just felt like everybody said the same thing the whole time and or didn't say anything because nobody had anything to talk about. And then the table that was so much fun, you were cry laughing and having way too many shots with everybody, right? We've all been there. So (laughs) all I'm saying is that we can utilize this to create that experience of having a grand old time within our garden and our plants enjoying the whole process. You guys probably have heard of some very common companion planting groups. One of them is called the Three Sisters, which if you've read Braiding Sweetgrass, I believe there's a whole chapter dedicated to it. And it's all about, it's, it was developed by Native Americans basically to domesticate these crops because so many of the crops that we now know are used to be growing, used to be growing, sorry, (laughs) in, in a forest model. And so they have like the forest floor with mulching and like all these things. But like when they chose to domesticate them, they took beans, corn, and squash and utilize them to all work together. And so they also taste incredible together. They're harvested roughly around the same time. And how it works is the corn acts as a support system for the beans. The beans run up the corn and then the beans are adding nitrogen into the soil for the corn. And then you also have the squash, which is trailing all around. And while it's trailing, the the large leaves are actually protecting the root system of the corn and creating that mulching effect. And so they act together like a community of plants that help one another. And there's much more information about how it all works and there's a lot more <laughs> science behind it. But it's incredible to me that even centuries ago, we were observing nature and how it worked And we were able to create a system that allowed us to produce food in such a connected way. And Native Americans passed this on and it's deep knowledge. And there are so many other combinations that they used. This is just one of them. But, and this goes back centuries, even beyond them, uh, there's so many (laughs) different ways companion planting was happening all around the world. And we'll get into that on our next episode because we're going to go through the history of it. And I know, I know you guys, history is history, but I find history fascinating. I did the history on Amarath not too long ago because I found it so fascinating. I love sharing history because I'm just a history geek, but I find plants and how we connect to nature as humans through history even more fascinating than just human history because there's this deep connection that we have to something that we in modern society 
have kind of just now started to come back to. I think we're just at the cusp of it. So for me personally though, companion planting was the thing that drove a deep, deep connection into the garden. It was the thing that made all the difference in my passion for it. Because when I started understanding it and utilizing the chart and going through it all, I realized that I could actually make a masterpiece of connection and community amongst my plants. And that was really cool to think about. My last thing I will leave you with is that when we're talking about companions and, you know, if you're somebody who does download the list, one thing to note is that there is, like, if you are looking at the companions, all, all those companions have certain jobs. And so though they all grow well together, if you have a specific problem in the garden, it's always best to go and go to the Google machine and just say, tomatoes hornworms or like companion plant, tomato hornworm companion plant. And it will tell you the exact companion plants to plant because of tomato hornworms, which are, I'll save you, borage and marigolds. Just going to, and alliums don't hurt. So that mix will always help. So I'll save you that search. But guys, this is an amazing thing to play with this year. And I promise if you're like, I just don't know what to plant again next to the other thing. And is this even the right thing to put close together? How close can they be? In companion planting, you don't think about that. It's just close and tight and nice and like there's less weeding. It's we'll talk about it all. Okay. Don't worry. That's what this whole month is about. Clearly, I can talk about it forever. So stay tuned this whole month as we talk about companion planting. I'm gonna go through it all. But just a reminder, the e-course is available now. If you're starting to plan your garden and you're feeling lost and you just want somebody to give you clear direction, you can listen to the videos. You get all of those handouts. You get all this information that makes it really clear and easy. So you, and you can even see me live, like designing a garden. Okay. I show you guys and I talk through the whole process of why I'm doing everything. And I even give you my top three tips for a great design. So it's a great course. I'm linking to it and I'm going to talk about it a lot. So yeah, you're just going to have to handle it, I guess, because I think it's that great. Okay. I wouldn't say it if it wasn't. So you guys know I'm very thoughtful about these things, but okay, you all next week, we'll be talking about the history. We're going to go into some of that. I hope to see you around till then. I'll see you out there. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.